Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Film Chat. In this episode, I'm shocked to discover that I am the son of a Greek god. And my buddy Sam isn't actually disabled, but only uses his crutches because he's hiding the fact that he's a fawn. I also discovered that my teacher, played by Pierce Brosnan, doesn't actually need a wheelchair, but is just hiding the fact that he's a centaur. <laughs> then, while visiting the Museum of Modern Art in New York, we're attacked by a giant winged bat creature, which I defeat using a pen Pierce Brosnan gave me that turns into a sword. And Oh, sorry, wait a second. I've actually confused us with the characters from the 2010 classic Percy Jackson and the Lightning no. Thief. Uh, this is actually just a podcast where we talk about and review films. <sighs> I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is my sagacious chum, Sam Foster. I'm feeling pretty let down right now, to be honest Sorry, with you. Man, it's not were. what you said Sorry. it would be. Uh. Well, today's film chat can be summarised in three words. Lads, lads, lads. Danny went to see Jason Statham being a blokey man in gambling thriller Wildcard, while I checked out Sean Penn as an unusually muscular old man with a gun in The Gunman. Plus, Jeremy Clarkson's favourite movies, What is the Ultimate Lads Film, and a 45-minute discussion on whether Danny is a shower or a grower, which Katie has sworn to me will make the final edit. Lads, lads, lads! Lads, lads, lads! So, uh, correspondences, we've had a few. Uh, Dan Noll, first time uh, correspondee, says the following. A recent movie discussion with some friends led to us listing as many films as we can think of which take place in a single confined space. We merely didn't try very hard, getting as far as Phone Booth, Cube, 12 Angry Men and Buried before the conversation derailed itself into how lackluster Ryan Reynolds' movie career has been. A conversation for another time, perhaps. Also an interesting conversation. Also very interesting. Anyway, I was wondering if the two film chatters could think of any others to add possibly some good ones. Well, Dan, I went straight to the internet as soon as I read your <laughs> wonderful letter and I started Googling away. So in addition to the four films that you mentioned, uh, there's Rope, 
the Hitchcock film. Yeah. Devil, which is that um, M. Night Shyamalan written film about a bunch of people. They're stuck in an elevator. That's already horrifying enough. But one of them is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty terrifying film, uh, probably. There's also Fermat's Room, which is about a bunch of... Oh, yeah, I've of, seen that one. Uh, you seen that? Yeah. It's a bunch of mathematicians trapped in a like room. The room is getting smaller, and they have to solve puzzles in order to escape. Yeah, that's the one. Um, it's not that good, to be honest with you. But it sounds so good. I know. It's named after that uh, wonderful French mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's surprising? The maths is surprisingly quite simple. You're what? like, I was watching it, and I was like, these mathematicians are fucking dumb. Because... What, you mean you're watching, you're solving the puzzles with all them? <laughs> yeah. So in the movie, have they written in puzzles which the audience could actually solve as they, they're reading them? Yeah. It's, it's not like, like a kind of like, um... um, Goodwill Hunting type thing where you just see a sort of series of numbers and he goes, the answer is this. And no, it's no, like, wow. yeah. It's like sort of Jesus. It's like, you know, you're getting dressed in the dark. You need to get some matching pair of socks. Those kind of questions. Yeah, yeah. It really quite simple. Yeah, and it's how can you can't see them? Yeah. How do you know... If, how are you going to find matching socks? Yeah, how many socks would you have to take out before you got a matching pair? Yeah, how many feet would you need to have and putting a sock on each one until you were guaranteed to have at least two the same? That's like the simplest question I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, there's also the movie 1408 in which John Cusack goes to a hotel room and he... <laughs> he stays there? <laughs> he stays there for most of the film. It's quite a dull film, Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, heard that the room is haunted, but actually turns out it's normal. It's a very interesting film. There's also The Exterminating Angel. Um, yeah. That's a Boonwell film. Of, oh, where well, uh, they can't get up from the table. Yeah, it's a surrealist classic about a bunch of uh, middle-class, um, you know, bourgeois people. They're all at a dinner party, and then they discover, for some mysterious reason, that they can't leave. Yeah. And they all go feral or something like that. Not a film I've seen. <laughs> Do you know what the ultimate answer to this question is? Inception. It all takes place in Killian Murphy's brain. The architecture of his mind. That's the smallest confined space, right? Can't get smaller than Killian Murphy's brain. <laughs> <laughs> what is smaller than his brain? Yeah. Well, it's even smaller than the coffin in Buried. Killian yeah. Murphy's brain. Yeah, except that at the end, there's a sort of implication that perhaps the entire film has taken place in Leonardo DiCaprio's brain. An even smaller brain. It's even smaller. Usual suspects. All takes place in Kevin Spacey's head. <laughs> Maybe you could say that it all takes place in that one interrogation room, because his head's in that room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if a movie is all takes place in a single room and half of it's a flashback, you know, is the film a one-set film? Probably not. So what's the best one? Probably Twelve Angry Men, right? Yeah. Speaking of Twelve Angry Men, when Danny and I were a healthy, <laughs> creative young seventeen-year-old boys, we made a YouTube video consisting of the entire film. Like that's <laughs> kind of pervy. Strapping young lads. Uh, yeah. Vivacious, full of ideas. Yeah. We condensed the film into sixty seconds. You can watch that on YouTube. Yeah. Get to see what my hair was like back then. Get to see what Danny's hair was like. It's a big hit. It's huge in America. It's it's uh, the biggest film on my YouTube channel by some distance. Yeah. We're yeah. used in classes as a it teaching is, It is absolutely huge in, Amer in America. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's the end of that section. Yeah. Um, any more? Any more correspondence? Georgia Mill asks, Georgia Mills asks, when do I get my signed photo? Exclamation mark, question mark. Well, I distinctly recall signing that photo. It's definitely around here somewhere, Georgia. We'll send it to you in due course. You can come collect it if you want, or you can just come to Katie's room and just dig about, see if you can find it. Yeah. I'm being told that Katie is getting on it, and it will be with you in due course. 
Yes. Final item. James Andrews, frequent letter writer, says, Question for you guys. Is there a correlation between the films you have watched most times over and your favourite films of all time? I ask because I recently realised that I've watched A Muppet's Christmas Carol many, many more times than any other film, and that definitely is my favourite film of all time. Yours in Christ, James. Right. Well, I would say there probably is a correlation between... That suggests some sort of like Stockholm Syndrome-like sort of thing where if you watch Just something long watching enough, it. your mind will snap and it'll become your favourite film. Yeah. Well, I, what do I, you think, Dave? Well, you've, you often mention to me that there's movies that you watched as a child millions of times, but not necessarily your favourite films now. Yeah, I think I've sort of exercised my childhood favourite films for my top ten list now. I sort of put them in a different category. Yeah, I so can't... Like, the Mask of Zorro is not no longer one of your favourite films. Actually, that is still... So that is still, that's there. still top. <laughs> still on my top ten. <laughs> um... I don't know. I watched Hook, uh, not recently, but when Robin Williams sadly passed away. And I loved that movie as a kid. And like, I watched it with like adult eyes and I kind of wished I just hadn't. I was yeah. like, oh, this is why this movie is kind of poorly received. I thought it was like a masterpiece. Like the second act is like all over the place. I didn't know. Yeah. It was a younger, more you know, impressionable time. I think maybe as a child, you're more likely to watch the same movies over and over and over. You yeah. sort of, you know, children have a lot of patience for just, you know, sitting through the same thing. Whereas I think for me now, like I want to see new stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The, the movie I've seen the most is probably Pulp Fiction, maybe. Or you watched that so many times as a kid. You watched it on, like, in the cinema. You watched it <laughs> on VHS. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's not true. But I don't remember having a movie that I watched all the time when I was a child, like that I watched over and over and over again. I watched uh, Star Wars: Phantom Menace quite a lot. Yeah, I really liked that as a child, and now I've not got quite the same opinion <laughs> I did at the time. I used to like I remember having a sick day and I was just watching the sort of exciting scenes I would just like fast yeah. forward to the like exciting bits um, pod race the pod race the duel the, of fate the duel of fate at the end the battle at the end um, that's that's it <laughs> bits. yeah I don't yeah. know I've seen Annie Hall a lot as well and that's also one of my favourite movies so. so I'd say there probably is quite some correlation for me yeah. I think like in order for a film to be considered one of my favourites I have to see it several times I just watch a film one time and be like that's not my, my favourite film now I think you know that's an opinion that has to develop um, so you're probably right, James. I don't know. Yeah, probably James. Yeah, yeah. Just keep on writing in because because you're responsible for about ten percent of our content at the moment. So yeah, we love you, James. Uh, bowling, bowling, bowling again. Bowling soon, buddy. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. In the news this week, Vin Diesel uh, has claimed that the Fast and the Furious 7, um, the seventh film in the Fast and the Furious franchise, is going to win the best picture at the Oscars. Fast and the Furious has been somewhat overlooked by the Academy, I would say, so far. Yeah. Having received absolutely no attention from them <laughs> whatsoever. Vin said, Universal is going to have the biggest movie in history with this movie. It will probably win Best Picture at the Oscars unless the Oscars don't want to be relevant ever. This will win Best Picture. There is nothing that will ever come close to the power of this thing. What? Wow. <laughs> wow. Not only is it going to win, it's really going to run away Yeah. Uh, with the whole field. Wow. I mean, is that even remotely possible? <laughs> it already has an 88% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty impressive. I understand it's got like a certain melancholy to it now because it's Paul Walker's last movie. Maybe it's really, yeah. And well, actually, Vin does say that uh, what the world won't anticipate is how emotionally powerful the movie is. 
The head of Universal Studio, Ron Meyer, often said when Fast Five or Fast Six came out, if there was no number <laughs> attached to these movies, they would be contenders for Best Picture. And when people see Furious Seven, they're going to agree. Uh, says Diesel. <laughs> Oscars hate numbers. They hate numbers. Except Has a sequel ever won? Exception of uh, Godfather Part Two and Return of the King. Are those the only two sequels to have won? Maybe. 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 Maybe, maybe Ron Meyer has a point. Although I don't know if it, they just called it something else, like you know, car race or something. <laughs> Speedy car time. Yeah. Car men. Car men. <laughs> car men fight each other. <laughs> I, d- I don't know if it really would have uh, been a hit with the Academy, but maybe maybe it would have been. I don't think it's you cool. saw you just saw Fast Furious Six, right? Yeah, I've seen one, two, uh, five, and six. <laughs> I haven't seen three or four. If this film is on a similar level to five and six, I can't really see it winning Best Picture. Be, I imagine it'd be a fun movie. It's a bit. It was a bit too long though. Fast Six. Hmm. Anyway. Okay, let's hear the next news item. <laughs> Bored of that one. So, uh, Independence Day two. Do you know this was happening? No. Independence Day 2 is happening. So the United States has decided to do another day to celebrate its independence. (laughs) Yeah. One's not enough. One's not enough. So um, returning cast members include uh, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum, and Vivica A. Fox. Yeah. Vivica A. Fox, rather, uh, who was the Will Smith's girlfriend character. Will Smith has declined to return. What? But but apparently the plot is going to focus on his uh, stepson, Vivica's son, played by... by Jaden? Not by Jaden, by Jess. He was played by Ross Bagley in the first movie. Remember that actor? Yes. <laughs> Bagley, yes. <laughs> but it's now going to be played by Jesse Usher. I don't know who that guy is. And apparently the plot is going to focus on President Whitmore, who's Bill Pullman's character, his son-in-law, which is going to be played by Liam Hemsworth. Are there no new people in this world? It's just everyone's son. And uh, Jesse Usher, Vivica's son. Okay. But also, in recent news, Charlotte Gainsbourg is in talks to attach. She's bored of cutting off her clitoris in Lars von Trier movies and having weird, horrible sex. She's like, I just want to be in a blockbuster. <laughs> Can I be in one <laughs> film where I'm not subjected to bizarre sexual abuse, please? Yeah. Yeah. So Independence Day 2 is happening. I was thinking about this, right? But without Will Smith, who's going to welcome the aliens to Earth? I don't know. His, his, not, not his biological son. His son from his first marriage, welcome I presume. Welcome back to Earth. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, right? That should definitely be the tagline. Yes. Independence Day 2 is a rubbish title. I was thinking it should be just a different holiday, like Labor Day or something. Or... Labor Day. You know, for what, Garbage this is, Day? This is my pitch, right? Yeah. Thanksgiving Day, right? And they but, just call it Thanksgiving there. Yeah, Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> <laughs> but much like the original Thanksgiving Day, <laughs> where like the oppressive white European forces uh, like decimated the native population, Native Americans, right? Now... Like the aliens are the white Europeans, yes, and the idea. Earth is the Native Americans. Excellent idea. I yeah. like it. Yeah. 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 So, is call it Thanksgiving Day? <laughs> <laughs> the title is the best thing about that idea. It's like a, a subversion of sorts. So yeah, I reckon yeah. that's the way to go. Thanksgiving Day. I like it. I think it's a great idea. Thanks, man. Yeah. So on the lads theme of today's episode, it's been a week of uh, Titanic lads news. It's yeah. been absolutely devastating oh my God. news for many people uh, this week when two giants of the male world both left their jobs. Jeremy Clarkson was fired from Top Gear. <laughs> and in possibly even more devastating news, Zayn Malik left One Direction. God. But anyway, I was, uh, I'm was i a big Jeremy Clarkson fan, as you know. We all love Jezza. I love Jezza. Um, I love his whole thing. I like the way he 
Uh, the way he moves. <laughs> I like the way he talks. I like the way he smells. Oh, no. I like the way his hair falls. Yeah, so I was very uh, keen to talk about Jeremy Clarkson because I love him so much. So I Googled Jeremy Clarkson film. I wanted to find something relevant to say about him. And he did indeed write an entire column dedicated to cinema um, in 2004 in the Sunday Times. Wow. He's got a wonderful writing style. It's like, uh, it's a real sort of angry pub man talk, you know. I mean, there's a kind of caricature of Clarkson of him just sort of being like, the French are smelly. Yeah. Which is remarkably accurate when you actually read (laughs) how he writes. So what prompted this column was that the uh, BFI had released a chart of the best British films that have ever been made, which he found absurd because it's just a bunch of stupid like fancy films for critics who are all probably like bloody critics yeah they're all just gays and like nonsense aren't they yeah (laughs) all black lesbian muslim nonsense aren't they i think i believe they are and he wasn't very impressed that the british film institute named the best film as the third man the last time i looked the british film institute was busy claiming that something called the third man was at number one though i couldn't for the life of me work out why since it was about a man who went to see a friend who was dead <laughs> has he seen the film well i don't know maybe <laughs> that is what happens yeah why is that a bad premise he's just that's not know. the only thing that happens in the film you know the yeah. plot moves on maybe you know something happened to him in his past which means that plot is very insensitive for him in second place, it was Brief Encounter, in which a man meets a woman in a railway station. <laughs> which is obviously shit, isn't it? It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And in third, we had David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia, which was about a homosexual who rides a camel round the desert and then crashes his motorbike and dies. First of all, it starts with him crashing the motorbike, and it's a flashback. He doesn't like David Lean because his ears were too big, and all his films feature lots of locals in loincloths and too much dust. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> it's amazing! Yeah. It's so Alan Partridge. It's just <laughs> so brilliant. First of all, his ears were too big. He can't really. It's just hard to sort of divine at what level this is his real opinions and at what level he's just a total caricature of himself. Yeah, completely. He's actually quite a genius for very uh, short praises of the plots of films. Yeah. Get, Get Carter is about Michael Caine wearing a Mac and going up north. <laughs> the Wicker Man is about someone pretending to be Brit Eklund banging on a wall. He describes a clock. No, that is actually Brett Eklund. Someone <laughs> pretending to be Brett Eklund. That's, well, that's what he says. His Does... description of a clockwork orange is just, it was mad. It was mad. And he's really angry because there's not enough Bond films. Right. And they're too low down. So it takes you all the way. (laughs) That's so partridge. That's unbelievable. (laughs) It's like the whole bit where you just want the spy who loved me. Yeah. Just loves Bond. It's like. the, the first Bond film was at number nine, and he doesn't like that because he thinks it's one of the worst 007 adventures, with the exception of Moonraker. Which one is it? From Russia with Love. What that's, do you think? That's like one of the best ones, easily. So he doesn't even have the right opinion about Bond films. What's his favourite Bond film? I bet it's uh, Diamonds Are Forever because there's some like really distasteful homosexual characters in it which are played for laughs. He probably fucking loved it. <laughs> I think he probably loved um, Octopussy yeah. for its hilarious depiction of Germans and Indians. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bloody Germans. So are you curious to know what his his best film Oh, yeah, I want 10 notes. So his favourite movie is like, if he was writing the list... Um, I'm, trying, okay. I'm trying to guess. Is I'm like... going to see, see if you can guess. Okay, yeah. so his best... His favourite British film, okay, first of all, it is a fairly well-regarded film and it is definitely the sort of film that a middle-aged, like, grouchy man who probably doesn't like the Irish um, would enjoy. A quiet man? 
No, it's like a, it's more of a blokey lads. It's a gangster film. In Bruges? British gangster film. In Bruges? <laughs> he hasn't seen that. Came out in the noughties. He was driving cars by that point. Blokey he doesn't like, he oh, doesn't like uh, anything that's L- too Long Good Friday. Yes, correct. So, so why does he hate Get Carter? That's like a similar thing. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't hate it. He just thinks it's about him going up north or right, something. Right, okay. Long Good Friday. He watches Long Good Friday at least once a month. <laughs> as a rule. Maybe he breaks that rule sometimes. <laughs> His second favourite movie is probably going to be a bit harder to guess. It's a Scottish film. Um, it's kind of a like heart, like warming drama type like thing. Gregory's Girl or um, um, Local Hero? Correct. Local Hero. Yeah. <laughs> um, starring no one you've ever heard of apart from Burt Lancaster, who was brilliant and set right up at the top of Scotland. And Peter Capaldi. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess you hadn't heard of him in 2004. Oh, maybe not. Third is The Killing Fields. And his fourth favourite film is Train Spotting. Wow, okay. So, it's a bit weird. There's no cars in that. Just trains. Just trains. <laughs> Plenty of trains, but very few cars. Yeah, where, where's... What about um, Bullet? Yeah. Or, um, I was going to say... French Connection? The other Michael Caine film. Italian the Job? The Italian Job, yeah. Yeah. I think he'd like that. His derision of the first list doesn't make sense because so many of them are similar. Like, Clobbock Orange is a huge influence on train spotting. The final bit of this Clarkson, Clarkson column that I want to read out is his description of French cinema. Do you yeah. think it's going to be positive or, or negative? I think it's going to be a huge endorsement. Actually, I, just, I'm, I want you to uh, just improvise how you think Clarkson <laughs> would describe French cinema. The bloody French, you think that just filming a loaf of bread in black and white for 20 minutes counts as a bloody scene. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Something um, on those lines? Something on those lines. <laughs> then you have French cinema, in which a man meets a woman... They spend about two hours looking at each other in black and white over a cup of coffee. And then the man goes off with another man to have some graphic sex. It's kind of, I like this one, just the constant homophobia running for all his work. What could be worse than seeing that man having sex with another man? Ugh. Someone should like strap him down like a Clockwork Orange and like just play some like gay cinema, off French cinema, and see what happens. Yeah, just make him watch Stranger by the Lake over yeah. and over. <laughs> <laughs> blue is the warmest colour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So brilliant, brilliant. wonderful stuff from Carson. He's, and he's like, he... yeah, he's a genius. He's like Andre Bazan, but for the noughties. Yeah, absolutely. Big... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. They should hire him as like one of the Guardian's um, film critic team. Yeah. I think. Replace Bradshaw. I think he should just start a, like a film programme, like top film. That would be so good. <laughs> <laughs> top film. Yeah. I would, if that was a podcast, I would definitely listen to it. Yeah. I would top love film. to hear Clarkson's views on that. That's all. The, that's kind of something we would name this podcast. It's a shame we, we didn't think of top film. It's slightly slight. It's on the same level as film chat, really. Well, this is a lads. This is a lads episode. Maybe we should be changed. We should call top film top for this. Film, top film, just for this one. Yeah, lads, yeah. lads, 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 lads. Oh, by the way, we mentioned Zayn Malik's departure from One Direction earlier. His favorite film is Scarface. How are we going to decide who's going to review uh, film first? I have an idea, Sam. I've got a great rhyme, I can say, which will loosely oh, yes. decide. Your, your, your childhood rhyme you're very fond of. That was uh, taught to you by your great-grandfather, wasn't it? <laughs> He's that, yes. he's that guy who grew up in a very remote uh, <laughs> part of Ireland. 
Yeah, Danny Rand, senior, senior. Yeah, told me this. Kind of stuck in his ways. Yeah, a little bit, but his heart was in the right place. Yeah. So go go ahead. So eeny meeny miny mo, catch a by his if it screams eeny meeny mo. Oh, I get to do a review. Marvelous, marvelous. Absolutely disgusting. I can't believe you just said that on the podcast. That's our reputations ruined. Uh, lighting the fuck up. What are you, you over the BBC now or something? Katie, Katie, we're going to have to re-record that and don't let anyone hear that bit of recording. Imagine what would it do to our careers. Danny would have to make a public apology. Oh, Lighting the hell up. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay. Yeah. It's lining up. So, wild card. Wild card. I have the official synopsis from Lionsgate. Nick Wilde. Played by Jason Statham. He is a Las Vegas bodyguard with lethal professional skills and a personal gambling problem. When a friend... <laughs> I like the way you emphasise the word personal. Yeah. When a friend is beaten by a sadistic thug, Nick strikes back. I need to find out that the thug is the son of a powerful mob boss. Oh. Suddenly Nick is plunged into the criminal underworld, chased by forces and wanted by the mob. Having raised the stakes, Nick has one last play to change his fortunes. And this time, it's all or nothing. Brilliant. From two-time Academy Award-winning writer William Goldman, who is a bit of a Hollywood legend. He wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Princess Bride and All the President's Men, and he's now super old. Mm-hmm. And this film is based on his book called Heat, which was made into a film in the mid-'80s starring Burt Reynolds, which he didn't think very highly of. And they've So it's less a remake, more of a re-adaptation. Okay. And uh, you can tell that it's quite an old script. Yeah, it's directed by Sam West, who directed Conair Expendables 2, Tomb Raider, The Mechanic, that amazing Jason Statham movie from a few years back. Yeah. So it's a bit of an odd one. It's a film that feels like it's stitched together from several disparate kinds of films. And it's a bit all over the place in sort of tone, performance, plot, and it's a bit of sort of patchwork. Does Jason Statham bring his sort of kung fu with him? He brings his kung fu with him. Yeah. There's like, it's actually quite light on action. But, uh, yeah, he kicks some ass, like, every sort of 40 minutes. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just a bit all over the place. It's going to be this sort of kind of revenge film where he gets payback on this guy's, and uh, it sort of is for about 20 minutes, and then it gets resolved. And then, out of nowhere, he suddenly has a a gambling problem, which hasn't been mentioned at all. I was going to say that, like, in your description of the synopsis, which is admirable for how many gambling metaphors it included... (laughs) Like did that that gambling problem bit didn't really fit in. It's like how does that affect his abilities to wreak revenge on people? It doesn't really. It's a bit sort of I'm like gonna, I'm gonna protect you just as soon as I get a win on the slot. <laughs> yeah, it's like two different movies really. Yeah. And that's kind of the problem. And then, you know, it's the sort of existential drama for a bit comes out of nowhere, but then it's like the movie's like, wait a second, we're an action film, we're an action film, and forget forget the last twenty minutes, you've got to kill somebody, and then uh, Stanley Tucci turns up for about three minutes. Excellent. Which is great. Is he smirking? Oh yeah, big time. So basically the problem is it's not consistently outlandish and action-packed enough to be like a sort of fun dumb movie and it's not coherent or interesting enough to be a satisfying drama so it's sort of stuck between two approaches and it's not really working does it have some great uh, classic dialogue 
it's quite it's very dialogue heavy but it's a bit it's just a bit meh so right. you know you just expect a bit more from William Goldman and there's like a few um, things about it that sort of date it like the sort of attitudes towards women are a bit off mm. there's a bit like basically this woman it says she's sadistically beaten she's also horrifically raped that it's kind of quite brushed over she doesn't seem that bothered by it or sort of and uh, yeah. he sort of like lectures her for like going to this hotel it's like you know it's a everyone knows it's a stupid place to go and it's like don't like fucking slut shame somebody yeah, you know, victim like, blaming yeah victim yeah. blaming it was kind of awful like so like Jason Stavis like a bit miscast in it but he's also it's kind of saving grace because if it was just some sort of regular actor it'd be just like a dull movie but he's such a sort of entertaining screen presence Absolutely, they sort of yeah. elevates it and uh, I was reading an interview with a director who had spoken to William Goldman and William Goldman's note was just like Nick Ward is like the toughest guy in the world you gotta get the toughest guy but uh statham isn't really tough he's more like a sort of killing robot machine yeah you know? and yeah, it's sort yeah. of like uh you have to like sort of bleed a bit to be tough it's not like, like you gotta like feel you can be hurt it's like you're not really brave if you're not afraid you're yeah. not really tough if like you're a superhuman killing machine <laughs> <laughs> no i know what you mean yeah, yeah so like i don't know so it's like he, the tough guy is like the private detective who gets like the shit kicked out of him and then like keeps going yes and, yeah yeah that kind of thing but someone who just takes down 25 guys in a second is like <laughs> yeah so it's like the action's really frenetic and well done but it's oddly a bit kind of weightless it's sort of almost cartoonish i mean statham's like sort of good in it he's not very well the script is like inconsistent and he's not and he sort of does his best with it but i think he's like really entertaining as a screen presence really like so, him. yeah right yeah i'm kind of feel like he's yet to find his perfect vehicle for his like blend of ass kicking and sort of uh, low grumbly dialogue yeah you know like there's always a lot of humor i find like to his performances even when he's not in like comic films yeah it's just he something... sort of underplays it a lot yeah there's just something that's the not like that serious about it which makes it quite entertaining no completely one thing that's a bit surprising about the film is how low budget it is it's the sort of film that it makes a good trailer, but all the expense is kind of put on these money shots they put in the trailer, and you watch the movie, and it's actually quite. The rest sort of it's of, in a motel room. Yeah, like it's in a casino, but the casino's like one room. Right, yeah. And it's got all these uh, character actors like Hope Davis and Anne Hesch and Jason Alexander and memorably like Stanley Tucci, but they've clearly been hired for about two days. They sort of come in, and like there's other principal players, like the sort of gangster like villain of the piece the guy's performance is kind of fine but it's a bit it's like if only stanley tushi was that guy because when he turns up it's like a real burst of energy it's like hey stanley tushi he's like comes in and steals the movie and leaves obviously you know collects his money on the way out (laughs) he's like just gonna go make hunger games nine (laughs) and you know (laughs) gotta catch a flight gotta i gotta get my wig (laughs) fitting for a little chaos (laughs) yeah exactly i think it's one to miss i think statham is always entertaining to watch but there's not enough ass kicking and he's you know he's traded the ass kicking for some drama but the drama doesn't really go anywhere it's yeah. like a dull movie livened up by some occasional bursts of violence so it's a sort of meh meh from me meh So the gunman is Sean Penn's midlife crisis film. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, Sean Penn must have been to see Taken, yeah. and uh, after he saw Taken, which he loved, he went to see Taken Two, and he really loved that. <laughs> and um, 
that he went to see uh, Walk Among the Tombstones and he was like, this is brilliant. <laughs> sort of unknown. He went to Masterpiece. He went to Caught nonstop. Best one ever made. Exactly, exactly. So he saw all those films. He was like, these are the greatest films that have been made in the last 10 years. What do they have in common? I can't put my finger on it. Oh, I've realised they all have Liam Neeson in them and he's quite old and he's killing people. Yeah. So he was like, he spoke to his agent and he said, please get me a film which is a total throwback in every way, except the protagonist is unusually old for an action film. Um, I'm going to be in it. Yeah. And uh, his agent sent him a script for The Gunman. The director is Pierre Morel, the director of Taken. Yeah. Maybe Sean was like, I need the act, I need the real deal. Yeah. I need the guy who hired the other guy who's uh, very good at this now. And The Gunman is kind of like that Taken thing, but crossed with a kind of low-rent Bourne film vibe to it. Sure. So the plot is Sean Penn is a security guard man. He works for a, a private security company. They're kind of, you know, they, they all look like uh, mercenaries. Sure. And uh, in the first scene, or like in an early scene, he is shown to have basically the perfect marriage. It's a scene of absolute marital bliss. Him and his beautiful, incredibly young European <laughs> wife are rolling about in bed, being very cute together. Marvelous. Then he goes out to do his security detail. Turns out he's not just one of his security company, he's a hitman. Oh my God. And he has been hired to shoot someone in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which he does. The Congo goes like to hell as a result of it, oh, and he hell. has to skip town, so he leaves her without another word. Oh Eight God. years later, he is working for an NGO. He's like good now, you know. Yeah. So before he was bad because he was like shooting the African people, right? But now he's helping. And now him. he's helping the he's Africans. He's a humanitarian. Right? So he's over yeah. Africa solving poverty. He's on his gap yard. Yeah. He's digging a well um, for this NGO, and then his past comes back to haunt him. Oh my God! <laughs> so he's got to go on the run. He's got to find out who's after him, who wants to get him, and why. Is it related to what he did eight years before? Yes. And will he be able to rekindle, you know, things with his beautiful wife, even though she's left him? And she has ended up with one of his, like, old hitman buddies from oh back in the day. She only dates hitman. Yeah. So at the beginning of this movie, I was thinking maybe it would be okay. Yeah. Because I like the, I kind of like the fact that a bunch of it was set in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which you don't see a lot of. And that's a country which has got a huge number of problems. And I thought maybe the film would you know in some way explore or shed some light on you know what was going on sure. there but it quickly turned out that there was just like meaningless background color yeah it's just it's just set in you know like uh the sort of ukip the, guys bongo yeah. bongo land exactly you know. foreign place yeah and and in the end like that what looked like it might be an interesting detail turned out to be almost like, uncomfortable because you realize that all the black characters are just total window dressing yeah and you can also see very much how like badly it wants to be a born film it's really globe trotting like he's constantly going to he goes from to a new place until the budget runs out basically until like, they've used up all their like flights you know he can't, he can't go to any more places and he also, you know, like someone watched the Bourne movies and they really liked how he like just picks random things up and does stuff with them. It's one of the highlights of the Bourne films. Yeah. So there's a bit of that in this. Like there's a scene where he's going to meet someone for dinner and he's wearing a shirt and he just steals someone's jacket from the back of their chair. Right. And he just puts it on. And it's like... It's petty that's, theft. That's just theft. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like, you're not doing some sort of cool thing in order to get away with the bad guys. You're just stealing from... Yeah. You know, I thought you'd turned over a new leaf now. I thought you were a nice... Yeah, you're just at the you're just digging a well. Yeah. And now you're just a common, you know, just a common can't go to see his wife without st- why don't you just buy a jacket for God's sake? Yeah. You know? It's he's ridiculous. got it. He's it's demonstrated that he has got an apartment in London 
which he is you know keeping as his like you know place yeah. where he's working while he's probably all got we got huge a, housing problems in London. Yeah. He just got a flat, just he's going. Got a flat and it's, it's, it's uh, not, no one's even in no it. No one's there. No one's there. Fucking hell. He's got money for that, but he can't afford to buy a uh, um, suit jacket. Seems ridiculous. Oh my god. Sounds like a one percenter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's really dumb. Like, and it's really, it really feels like a throwback. You know? Yeah, it's this real kind I of eighties found... like action film where things very quickly stop becoming surprising. Like, oh, is that film? I know every other thing that will happen in the film now. You know, I, I know he's going to betray him and like and yeah, yeah, blah blah blah. I found the trailer quite funny because it's almost like an allegory for Sean Penn's actual life. Like he really wants to be just doing charity work <laughs> and working on his humanitarian acts, but he's like gets a call and he's like, "We need you to star in a movie." And he's like, oh, "I'm through making blockbusters, man. I'm I put that behind me. I did Gangster Squad, Squad for Christ's sake." Yeah, that's and he's like, point. "Just when I thought I was out, they dragged me back into the world of commercial cinema." I just want to make intense dramas that cost about a pound and yeah. involve me crying a lot. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe what drew him to the script was the irony of him being in the film <laughs> for that reason. It feels like they just like the Taken model. It's like, you know, it hit real zeitgeist, but it sort of faded somewhat. And they just yeah. sort of, they've just taken the model and just strapped on a bit more talent to it. Like, what? isn't Ray, isn't Mark Rylance in this movie? Yeah, like, Mark Rylance is in it. Considered yeah. to be one of the greatest actors of his generation. Yeah, that Raw Shakespeare company yeah. you know, veteran. How um, is he in it? He's really good in it. I thought he was great in it. I, I feel like when they cast, uh, you know, when they managed to get Mark Rylance, they like wrote, gave the character like three times as many lines as he really needed to have just so sure. they could have like Mark Rylance deliver them. And he's really good. He's got, I think the reason he's in the film is because he's got a gruff, gravelly voice and all the men have to have that. You, know, you can't be in the film unless you've got a gravelly voice. Yeah, Ray Winston's in it, right? Ray Winston's in it. Javier Bardem is in it. Idris um, Elba. Idris Elba's in it. Oh, this is a gruff off. Yeah. Um, and Mark Rylance, he's got one of those voices where you're like, you know, this man badly needs a strap cell or something. You know? <laughs> like Nick Nolte. You're like, How? give this man a honey and lemon immediately <laughs> because he sounds like he's in intense pain. How's uh, Sean Penn in it? Like bad, I would yeah. say. Yeah, he's just like, Sean Penn... Can you tell doing... that he like doesn't want to be in the film? No, I think it's more like he's doing a method actor's like performance, but what he's emulating is like, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme or something. Sure, sure. You know? Yeah. He's doing an incredible performance of like a shit performance. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just like, it's just, he's just completely matching the role, which is bad. And uh, yeah, and also the one way in which it is... Um, not matching up to the sort of Bourne movies that it's emulating, is that with Jason Bourne, what was kind of interesting about those movies is that you felt like if the CIA wasn't trying to hunt him down and kill him all the time, he would very happily just, you know, go back to that tropical island and work at the restaurant or something. Sure, yeah. He always seemed like a regular guy who was, had all these incredible skills, but, you know, he didn't really want to use them. He was believable as just a regular guy. Whereas Sean Penn is this, like, ludicrously ripped, like, old guy with his, like, gelled head, his, like, ridiculous frown and his gruff voice, and it's like, he can only be killing people, you know? Yeah. There's no way. He probably sees digging a well as killing the earth <laughs> to get water out of it. Wound it, yes, or something. <laughs> you know? Water yeah. is the blood of the earth. <laughs> it can only be, he can only be doing something violent. So... I don't know. I went to see it. I drank uh, two cans of beer whilst watching this, <laughs> and that probably helped. So I'd say if you don't have any like alcohol immediately to hand, or you're not something to sort of numb your brain a little bit to help you like get through to it, get through to the end of the film, um, I might avoid it. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. 
Okay, I'm just going to go uh, grab dinner. Oh, thanks, Danny. Okay, see you then. Listeners, Danny has promised me a very delicious hot meal. He said he's bringing me a steak, and I'm really excited for it. It's been a very long day working on the podcast. It's about nine o'clock now. I'm starving, and all I want is a lovely hot meal, and then I'll be happy. Here he comes. There you go, buddy. What the fuck is this? Lovely platter of of cold meats. Some parma ham, salami. Chicken, Danny. What the fuck is this? Where's Where's the the hot meal you promised me? It's the been ki- It's been a long day. I, I need a hot meal. Hot meal, Danny. Listen, uh, I'm sorry, but the the kitchen's closed. The kitchen's closed. Really? Well, you didn't saw. You didn't uh, look into that. You didn't look into when the kitchen closed before you promised me a hot meal. Well, I'm sorry, you were a little late getting here. You why do you make promises and then not keep them? Is that the sort of thing that why, why you eat this delicious my co-host should do? I'm a fucking professional, Danny. And I, and I need to have a hot meal. I've had a very long day. But it's delicious cold meat. This is the actions of what I don't hesitate to describe as an Irish cunt. Because hey. That's how, that's how I think of you. Uh, and when I see you bringing this cold meat into me, my reaction is like this. Here's some cold meat. Oh, blah, blah. Where, oh, steak. You don't need that. That's, that's what I hear from you when, when, when you're offering me it's this. It's really hurtful, Sam. Could you, I just don't want you to stop it. It's not, I'm it's gonna not come, okay. I'm going to come over to where you are. And I'm going to hit you in the face. Don't. Bl- no. I'm going to do it right now. So what's going to happen? <laughs> no. Ah! Well, I'm just. I'm, I flew off the handle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, hang on. Oh, wait. Don't cry. I'm just going to just gonna make a phone call. I want to turn myself in. I've committed a violent act. I, I punched Danny in the face. He didn't bring me a hot, hot meal. I got really angry. I'm really sorry about what I did. And, uh, and I assume the matter. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Is that an end? See you next week. (laughs)